December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. And welcome back, finally, after decades of being silent to Tales of the Justice Society of America. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am here all by my lonesome tonight. I just decided that um, that I should just get back into the swing of things. And, you know, I really miss Scott. And, you know, I wonder what Scott would say to me right now if I said I was doing this by myself. Scott? What if, what if I do this by myself? Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Scott Gardner. Oh, I love that guy. Where is he? <laughs> oh, oh, me. I love that guy, too. But I'm not allowed <laughs> to talk about it because of the court order. So... <laughs> And every time you do, the, the internet rumors start flying, and all those old pictures start turning up, and it's just, oh, it's embarrassing, and yeah. It'd be great if someone, like, photoshopped that one with your shirt off with me of one around the same uh, time dude, with my shirt off. Dude, don't, don't, don't encourage these people, all right? Don't, don't give them any ammunition, all right? Uh-huh. Well, well, folks, we are back. After a very uh, about a month or two of, of being off the air, basically, um, uh, we we have some things to talk about with that. But first, we're actually going to read an email because it kind of leads into all of that uh, before we actually get into the issue at hand. Because we are continuing our coverage of All Star Squadron this week um, and doing some other cool things like we usually do, like the elsewhere in the DC multiverse, I guess as we have to call it now because we're still in the multiverse. So do you want to read this email, or do you want me to, Scott? I will be happy to. However, I need to pull it up first. (laughs) That's what she said. No! It's the greatest joke ever. It is the greatest (laughs) joke. 
Vamp, sir, vamp. Dance, Rush Limbaugh was on Family Guy, and it was very funny. Oh, my God. Speaking of that... He played himself, by the way. I didn't know how you guys would take it, so I haven't done it yet, but I've been so tempted to send you guys uh, on, on FCTC. I, I, I just, just to be a complete smartass more than anything, I keep thinking about sending you guys... Um, repeated emails with basically the same theme over and over again just changing like one or two words which would be love the show however i think it's it's misnamed here's a, sig- a name suggestion and each one would be something like from crisis to crisis a family bi- guy podcast <laughs> from crisis to crisis a smallville podcast from crisis to crisis a, a, you know a lois and clark podcast just just to be a wise ass but i haven't i haven't done it cuz i'm 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 trying You've to be a nice very guy good about that oh, yeah i have i have in the past 20 or so episodes <laughs> i mean we talk about superboy but that's kind of on point so i i ended up liking those episodes that you guys uh had me watch you know because they were part of the episode that that i guessed it on um you know i watched those episodes i ended up liking them uh, a lot more than i really into cuz i was really kind of dreading it you know, I, I was. It was one of those things where you know I, I found somewhere online where they were, um, and and was downloading them, but where I went to said that you know there was a high likelihood that they wouldn't actually download, and I was like, eh, you know, if they don't, they don't. Gets me off the hook, kind of thing. But they did download, and and when I finally sat down and made the time to watch them, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I really um, enjoyed them much more than I thought I would because. You know, like I had told you a while back, I only ever saw a, a handful of episodes, and I'm pretty sure they were all from early in the first season. And I just thought, honestly, I thought it was atrocious. So it was nice to see that they did eventually, you know, spruce the show up, and and it oh, was it got much a lot more. Better. Yeah, it, it was. It, it got much better uh, as it went along. And, and and folks, for for those of you who may not know, on my one of my other podcasts, from Crisis to Crisis. Uh, this isn't Scott and I's first time podcasting since his hiatus. We actually, uh, Jeffrey and I had him on the show. Had a great time doing it, by the way. You are welcome back anytime. Oh, thank you. I, I had a blast. It was really, it was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed myself. And uh, so check out that episode. It is episode, <laughs> I feel embarrassed saying this. It's episode 69. <laughs> dude. So, 69, hey, dude. dude. 69, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we got an email here from Randy Matthews. Oh, am I, I'm supposed to read this, aren't I? Yes, you are. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's see. It's entitled, uh, When Will There Be a New Tales of the JSA? And Randy writes, Guys, he said, I just found out about your podcast and started listening at the beginning of All-Star Squadron. I finally got caught up last month. I was wondering when you might start up again. Never. Never. Um, since I understand that one of you had to take a break, it's no, pretty we're cool. We're becoming the US One podcast uh, <laughs> as of this episode. So. Oh For the six god. people that get that, yeah. Oh my god! You know, I've read some crap comics in my time. I, I, you know, I was right there when a lot of these things came out. But that was one I'm proud to say. I don't think I've ever read a single issue did of. You read- or own. America. I did, and I liked it. <laughs> I was actually a big Team America fan when they got their own book. I was like all excited, and I was like, "Wow, this without Captain America, this book kind of sucks." <laughs> without without Captain America and without Mike Grell drawing it, yeah, this yeah, book no sucks. shit. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was there for that. He continues, it's pretty cool to listen to guys who love the Georgia guys like... What is, the what is Golden he? Age. Oh, the... Oh, duh, I was thinking GA was Georgia. The Golden Age guys like me. <laughs> oh, I can see where this episode's going already. <laughs> this is... Uh, I also like it that one of you uh, lives near Noonan. See, this is why I thought he was talking about Georgia with, with the GA abbreviation. Mm-hmm. I thought he was talking about Georgia. Um, yeah, I, I, well, we both did, actually. We we were we each lived about uh, equidistant you yeah. know, from Noonan, but in opposite directions. So that was actually, Noonan was like the halfway point between the two of us that's where we before had, I moved. Uh, yeah, That's where we had breakfast uh, the, the morning you left, where we went to the... Uh, the Chick-fil-A, and you never knew what the dwarf house was. I was still shocked. <laughs> well, it's where we had most of our meetings, really, because it's where we went to the movies that first time we met up. Yeah, and, and Cracker Barrel that night. Cracker yeah, Barrel, so, yeah. 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 I'll never look at it the same way again. <laughs> I won't be able to go back. <laughs> I it'll, can't it'll, say that. We, we, we go there all the time, so. What's that song that, that has all the cheesy lyrics about, you know, everywhere I go, it reminds me of you or something? <laughs> I don't know. If you think of the song, you need to put it under half the shit. songs from the eighties. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, come on, let's uh, let's be, let's be real here. Oh, you're right. You're right. That's probably why I can't think of a specific one because that was part of every one of them. Uh, Randy continues. I lived there uh, from the fourth grade until I graduated from UA. Oh, awesome! So he knows exactly uh, mm-hmm. where we were talking about. Says I take one of you probably know Pat Henry. I used to go to his Titan store from 1982 to 2008. I had to stop. Uh, had to stop due to it being cost prohibitive to buy comics from them due to the distance from Riverdale to my home. And this is from. He, he just concludes. Thanks, Randy Matthews. I'm willing to bet that that I have met this guy. Uh, mainly because that 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 Titans was my Titans. Uh, starting in 96 and going till they moved over to Hapeville until they closed. Uh, I don't know Pat Henry as in he know he knows who my name and everything, but I've met him a few times and he was always very polite. That name sounds like historically significant. Isn't he the guy that was like damn the torpedoes full speed ahead or something like that? Patrick Henry. It sounds familiar anyway. But I am sure we are either going to get an email or a, a Facebook message from Chuck Sheffy who's going to tell me exactly who this guy is. Hi, Chuck. So, Hey, Chuck. Just swerved off into a tree. <laughs> no, he usually listens to us at work, so hopefully he didn't get shot. <laughs> but no, we're, we're, we're starting it up again. Um, after, oh, God, we are. Yeah, <laughs> That's not what you said last night. Um, <laughs> That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> We're off the rails already. It's a typical episode of Tales of the JSA. Uh, I'm very excited to get back into this, uh, simply because I missed it so much. Not just talking to you, but just talking about the subject matter that we're covering. And uh, I'm really glad you're back, buddy. I really am, and I'm glad that everything is uh, working out for you. Thank you, uh, Thank you Florida, so much. And uh, congratulations on, on on your recent bit of good news as well. So, thank you so much. I I, I appreciate that. It means a lot coming coming from you, Mike. I I really appreciate it because it's. I I know it was hard for both of us because, um, 
God, you know, there's no way to talk about this without it sounding like the most <laughs> whatever conversation, you know. Homoerotic. But, yeah, exactly. It does. <laughs> it does. But, you know, like like I said before, you know, we, we had basically just found each other, you know, as friends and everything and, and really started up our friendship. And, you know, we're making all these plans. You know, we got to do this together. We got to do that together. We got to hang out more and everything. And then it was time for me to up and move. And it was tough, you know, and and. So I got a taste of how hard it is for my oldest boy. He's having a tough time with this, you know, because yeah. all the kids, you know, he had just started um, junior high this year. You know, he started ninth grade and all the kids were that were his classmates. I mean, he's known these kids since pre-K, you know, so he's having a really difficult time of it. And, you know, for me, it, it's, it's always generally pretty easy for me to pick up and move because I'm, you know, half gypsy anyway. I mean, I've moved all my life i've never really had roots anywhere but you know with you and i having developed such a good friendship and all i I got a serious taste of what it must be like for him and and it it is hard to to pick up and move to a new area and you don't really know anybody and you don't really have any friends and you gotta you know you gotta kind of do it all over again you know And, and so it's been hard for him but um the the thing that for me has made it all really pay off is man you know not only did things happen pretty much exactly the way i wanted them to but everything's happened in pretty rapid succession you know um i found work right away it wasn't the greatest job but you know it was work it was an income which was more than you know georgia was holding for me and uh you know and then we we found a really nice place to rent you know that we're living in now we're in a beautiful town and, you know, my wife got her transfer, so, you know, she and the kids were able to follow me down without, you know, too much time away. And we, we were apart for, I think it worked out to something like six weeks or something like that, you know. And at the time when I came down here, I had no idea how, how long we might be apart. You know, I'm thinking, you know, this could be a year or better. You know, I really had no idea. Um, but anyway, you know, she got her transfer and a promotion out of the deal as well. So, she, you know, she's... Uh, you know, was able to go forward with, you know, the career that she already had. And, you know, the kids, you know, they're both in, you know, highly rated schools and all that. And then, you know, the biggest thing for me was, you know, a short while ago, I uh, finally got the official word from Disney. You know, I'll be starting there. By the time this episode's out, I'll I'll probably have been to, um, you know, my, my new hire paperwork thing and probably be starting what they call traditions, which is, you know, the, the, Disney, you know, the the Disney specific training class and all that, and I'll actually be starting, you know, as an official cast member at the Walt Disney World Resort. It's like, you know, that's my dream right there. That's that's everything I've been trying to accomplish, you know, for the past couple of years. So things have really they've gone from being dire scary to looking pretty darn good you know i mean the the future's looking bright so yeah i i I couldn't be happier and now you know with being able to finally uh you know get back into the podcast routine with you know with the shows that mean the most to me like you know ttf and this one and i i I just couldn't be happier right now i'm really uh i'm uh, i'm on cloud nine no, I'm I'm really happy for you, Rachel. And I got some good news today that I don't really want to go into too much until, like, we we get the first payment, basically. So. <laughs> but it looks like things are looking up for us as well after a really long and dark time. So, uh, excellent. Yeah, excellent. it's it's a good time to come back to this. Then it and, is. Uh, it's going to be a little different. 
Uh, not so much that we're not going to be covering All-Star Squadron, we're going to continue, and we're going to be eventually covering Infinity Incorporated, and then the show at one point is going to turn into the Crisis on Infinite Earths show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, the one thing that you you and I kicked around, for we had like 16 conversations on this show about what we were going to do, which I thought was good, because it showed that we were both really thinking... You know about what we wanted to do, and then taking some time so we're not just jumping into a decision rashly. And the one thing we kind of decided is uh, we're, we're going to be dropping the Huntress segment, right? Mainly because while talking about it, Scott and I usually have a really good time with it. But in post and listening to it, uh, you know, afterwards, it always seems like that's kind of dragging the the show down a little bit. Yeah, it's not working. It's just not. So, um, yeah. But every once in a while, we're still going to be uh, traipsing into other titles. We're going to have to be going uh, probably another month or two. We're going to be going into Justice League of America mm-hmm. to cover the uh, Crisis on Earth Prime, which I'm looking forward to because I always really liked that story. Uh, and 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 I, I look forward to you bitching more about Don Heck art since he did the Justice League issues. Well, it's funny to me because there's an issue of that, and I'm not sure which one it is. I want to say it's the last issue of that crossover that is in my unread bins. So evidently, I never finished the story. So I, I'll be curious to both reread oh, they all died. it and what. Um, thanks for spoiling it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a feeling that because it involves uh, a certain villain that it's probably one of those, well, it all never happened anyway, so it's not important kind of stories. But we'll Damn see it. when we get there. I, yeah, looks, I know. I hate he that. He looks so awesome, and that happens every freaking I know story. <laughs> you know, just one time I want to see, you know, they, they get to, like, the, the cliffhanger splash page ending of an issue of All-Star or uh, JSA or whatever, and Per Degaton shows up and he's like, I'm back! <laughs> and they're like, who the hell's this asshole? You know? Because <laughs> by all rights, they shouldn't remember him because every story ends the same way where none of it happened, you know? Who's this clown? <laughs> but but that's pretty, you know, that's pretty much it. We're still going to continue with the elsewhere like, like I said before. Uh, but we're just kind of we're kind of a little more focused, I guess, uh, would be the best way to refer to it on All Star Squadron, which I really think the series deserves. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of this series. It looks like, fingers crossed, Crisis on Earth Prime is, is next in the queue to be reprinted in the Crisis on Multiple Earths trade oh, paperback cool. line. Because they just released one that ended, I think, with the New Gods one. Which Ah, means it should be kicking off with that awesome storyline we talked about before Mm -hmm. in our intermediary period between uh, Adventure Comics and All-Star Squadron with uh, them going up against uh, the Ultra Humanite. No. Refresh me. After Crisis on Earth Prime, there there is at least one more JLA. JS- now, are they modern age JSA or this age of JSA? No, it, it is it is modern age. It was the the first one was the one where I I don't remember the specific issue numbers. I have them pulled because I thought we were going to be covering them. 
uh, was the one where it was revealed about Black Canary and how she's the daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I remember, yeah. And then the next one after that was actually one of the first issues of Justice League of America I ever read where Supergirl was involved. And you, oh, you know, yeah. Starman, and it was like this 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 family that developed superpowers. And then after that, we're gonna have to talk. We're definitely gonna have to talk about because it crosses over with Infinity Incorporated, and that's smack dab in the middle of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Now, let so, me ask you: one of the reasons that we've decided to ditch the uh, the Huntress thing and, and to really be a little more focused, and and if we cover that stuff at all, it's basically going to be that we're going to mention that it's out there without really delving into it. However, when it comes to something like that, those crossovers or, or a full-out JSA appearance somewhere, what, what do we want to do with that, do you think? I think we should, uh, I think we should cover them, in all honesty, because it is the okay. JSA. Right. You know, the, 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 the series is called Tales of the Justice Society of America. So, <laughs> um, you know, it would make sense. The thing about the Huntress thing is that as good as those stories, well, as hit and miss as those stories were, yeah. to be honest here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am. I think we dodged a bullet because that next one we were going to have to cover was a piece of crap. Let, you know, let me let me let me just lay it on the line. I'm going to be completely honest that it, it hit me as we started to delve into those that I think the reason I had such fond memories of reading those and enjoying those as a, a, a kid was because I was you know a, an adolescent or pre-adolescent, and the art in those is fantastic and. Um, Help me out! I'm drawing a complete blank. Staten, Joe Staten. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, was showing things like Helena lounging around in a in a bathrobe with her boobs hanging out, and I think that was a lot of the appeal for me back as you know as a young man reading that title. But then reexamining it now, while I still appreciate you know the the good girl art and all that, yeah, the stories are just kind of stupid, you know. So. <laughs> Not all the time, but not all the time. There's, no, there's a good there, there's a good chunk there that uh, that it's like, wow, is that like a monkey villain? I mean, what the hell? Whatever was coming up, the lion guy. Oh was yeah, the next one that uh, yeah. But it, it just feels like it's just enough removed that I don't feel guilty, you know, about yeah. saying, you know, let's let's just kind of let this one slide. But if if it's the entire team, we should talk about it. If it's just you know, like a Jay Garrick crossover into the Flash. Uh, as good as some of those are, it's just it's just not on point. Yeah, I basically. think we I think we should we should take a look at it, maybe even read it in our spare time, and then just you know give it a brief you know kind of like what you guys do, you and Jeffrey are doing right now with Superboy. You know, you read yeah. the issue, you give the briefest little thing, and discuss it for a minute, and then move on to whatever the next thing is. I like that because there's a story that I think is happening right now elsewhere in the DC multiverse, which is that Wonder Woman crossover with all the the female characters. I remember really digging that story when I was a kid, so I'd be curious to reread that and see how relevant it might be to our mandate here. But I'll I'll read it when I get time and and come back to it at some point. But, But I know that both Power Girl and the Huntress were part of that story, but again, how relevant is it to Tales? I, I don't know. I, I'll have yeah. to read it to find out. Had a nice exchange on Facebook with Joe Staten a couple months ago, too. Oh, really? really cool. Yeah. I had posted a bunch of pictures of my Superman action figures. And 
we just got talking. We got off to got got on talking. Uh, I think he asked which one was my favorite or something like that, and I said it's like one of the Earth Two ones, which I thought was kind of funny because it's kind of like almost his version of the Earth Two Superman that that figure is. So right. <laughs> so that, but that was cool. It's always it's always cool interacting with people like that, though. You know, especially when you appreciate their artwork so much. I wouldn't mind somewhere down the road seeing if we might be able to get um, some Tales-specific creators uh, on the show, you know, just to kind of pick their brain about, you know... Well, we could we could definitely um, probably get Jerry Conway, since I had the pleasure of talking with him. Yeah, I enjoyed that very much, uh, too. And you've emailed Roy Thomas before, so... Uh-huh. So was there um, any other news you wanted or announcements or anything you wanted to throw in there? Uh, nah, I can't <laughs> I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Am I forgetting something? That's why I was asking. I was making sure I didn't forget anything. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, no. Well, in that case, as I chew into the microphone, I apologize, folks. This is I do it all the time. <laughs> Let's say, you and Chris like to eat on the air. Um, let's uh, let's get right into the the next exciting episode or issue, I guess I should say, of All Star Squadron number ten. We have a cover by um, by Joe Kubert. Yeah, I think that's all we really have to say about that. Introducing the most awesome foe ever to face the All Star Squadron. <laughs> And you have this eye-shaped ship in the middle of the picture with Hawkman and Starman flying behind a plane and Johnny Quick, Hawk Girl, and Shining Knight fighting a bunch of people by um, the giant penis in Washington, D.C. Sorry, that's that's what the Washington Monument looks like. <laughs> you can't get around it. Oh, I thought you were referring to a person. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Dr. Midnight fighting people and um, Firebrand, Steel, and Robot Man who apparently have not eaten in quite some time, even Robot Man, which is kind of funny. It, is it an alien invader or something worse? You must read if an I, E-Y-E, offend thee. Writer on this was Roy Thomas. Artists were Adrian Gonzalez and Jerry Ordway, colored by Carl Gafford, lettered by Ben Oda, and edited by Len Wein. So Hawkman is on a joyride, in quotes, above San Francisco. Not only does he want to stretch his wings, he also wants to check out the B-17s that are passing by on their way to Hickman Field in Hawaii. On board one of the planes, oddly enough, is Ted Knight, Starman to you and me, and we get a bit about how he has made pilot in record time and how that fact might not sit well with Ted's co-pilot. Suddenly, a giant eye-shaped aircraft appears in the skies before them and attacks, knocking planes out of the sky. Ted changes into Starman, and along with Hawkman, helps save as many planes and pilots as they can. Suddenly, a body falls out of the eye, and Hawkman catches him, noting that the guy is not only wearing a funny outfit, but is pretty much dead. After Starman catches up with Hawkman, the eye flies off, and the two briefly talk about how weird that was before Ted departs to find his plane. It is here we find out that Ted used his connections with FDR to make Pilot faster than he normally would have, though everyone assumes it's because of his money. 
He sneaks back on the plane, and Hawkman flies off and discovers that the identity of the man he is holding leads him to believe that the flying eye is more sinister than he thought. Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., Johnny Quick, Shining Knight, and Hawkgirl are out for a morning stroll when they become upon an unconscious American soldier. Their investigation leads them to German saboteurs who are doing their best to blow up the Washington Monument. Johnny Those bastards! Johnny manages to get the drop on the saboteurs who keep following Johnny around, which makes me suspicious of of the quick one. But one of them knocks him out. Johnny comes to just in time to save the monument as Hawkgirl and Shining Knight finish off the bad guys. (laughs) Elsewhere, at an American outpost in the Pacific, Charles McNighter works in the dark on his tropical fever research when enemy planes attack. The Americans get into the air, but before a fight can break out, the pesky eye shows up again and starts a ruckus. After changing into Dr. Midnight, McNighter watches as the eye flies off, leaving him to go, What the hell was that all about? (laughs) Back in Washington, the Adam and Liberty Bell escort FDR to Winston Churchill's quarters, and when they enter the open door, they discover the Prime Minister is in nothing but a towel. (sighs) Adam and FDR seem embarrassed, and Liberty Bell looks as if she wants to try a little Churchill on before (laughs) FDR (laughs) and the Prime Minister discuss the formation of the United Nations. You know, bulldogs, they they latch on and they don't let go. Um, On the Russian front, the German military continues its attempt to conquer Russia, but are having a rough time of it. The eye shows up again, attacks, and then leaves. At a well-known Washington hospital, Firebrand is hanging out with Robot Man, who has just finished studying Commander Steel. They leave the hospital just in time for Robot Man and Steel to get hit with some weird energy which knocks them to the ground. After they recover, the three heroes see the flying eye and follow its path. They finally join the other Washington-based, and currently at least, All-Stars just in time to see a weird figure appear in the light of the flying eye. Johnny checks it out and is knocked back, and Firebrand's flame powers have no effect either. And suddenly, the figure allows himself to be seen, and he says... Hear me, inhabitants of Earth. I am Achnet, and I have come from the second planet of the star you call Proxima Centauri, to annex this world and all upon it in the name and by the power of the Binary Brotherhood. And frankly, if he was going to be the binary brotherhood, he should have just said one zero zero one zero <laughs> one zero one one. But uh, I'm not that funny. So shouldn't there have been two people if they were part of the binary brotherhood? <laughs> there should have been two aliens, right? Exactly. I'm just saying. <laughs> There's only two of them, darn it. And that is the exciting cliffhanger uh, where we're left off. Um, I guess I'll go into the the historical notes before Scott will let his opinions of the issue be known. (laughs) Robot Man and Commander Steel begin a friendship, having in common the fact that they are both, in their different ways, men of steel in this issue. As a letter writer noted, word balloons for the Soviet and German tank commanders somehow got switched around so that the German was founding Russian and vice versa. Yeah, because it it, it had the the Nazi yelling, slay the Nazi beasts, and the Russians saying, kill the subhuman Slavs. You know, I thought that when I read that, I thought, (laughs) aren't they backwards on that? Yeah, okay. 
I'm glad you clarified that because I thought that when I read it the first time that they were speaking the wrong lines. Uh, there is a fact file page uh, before the letters page that contains info on and Buckler Ordway Illos of Starman, Liberty Bell, and the Atom with a script by uh, Roy Thomas. The issue's letter pages tells interested readers that circumstances have... E- even made a guest appearance by any of the Marvel family impossible at that time. Licensee DC, which wouldn't purchase the rights to the Fawcett Heroes outright for several more years, had to pay a prorated fee for any comic in which they appeared. Shortly afterward, however, the powers that be relented and allowed the Marvels to appear in a few issues. The letter page also announced that because it had been pointed out that the use of the term nips for Japanese was still a somewhat offensive one, its use would be curtailed in future episodes. And uh, that's pretty much it for the um, for the notes and everything. They they they, they do compare Ocknet's coming to uh, Klaatu, Michael Rennie, yeah. from the day the Earth stood still, and they make mention of that. So, and they also mention that. In Invaders number 30, Comtour, the Teutonic Knight, piloted his flying saucer-like, I'm going to, Flygentod? Whatever it was. So apparently in a previous uh, Roy Thomas-written World War II-era story, there was a flying saucer-type thing as well. And Hmm. apparently the... um, There there was uh, a, a precedent for... FDR walking in on uh, Churchill, who was in his bath towel. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> in our continuum, Churchill emerged from his bath in the White House one morning to find an embarrassed FDR waiting to talk to him. So, <laughs> there you go. And yeah, this at this point, the, the, the battle between Russia and Germany was just... It was just going very poorly for the Germans because they expected it to be over in three months, and it was seven months into into them trying to invade that country. So, <laughs> yeah, those, those Russians, man, they they have that scorched earth policy going for them. So don't don't mess with them, and don't fight them on their own land because they're used to it, jackass. Well, I mean, I am no war historian by any stretch of the imagination, but correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't this ultimately prove to be a huge part of Hitler's downfall, just the same as it had been with uh, Napoleon, like a hundred years before that? Yeah, because the Russians are of the opinion, we'll burn our village down before we'll let you have it. Right. So, you you can't fight that. It's why... The mutually assured destruction theory between the United States and the Russians during the Cold War was somewhat flawed, Mm -hmm. because here was a people that would be willing to destroy their own land. I guess the only thing there is is that would you be you know there's a difference between destroying your own land and ending all life on Earth as we know it. Right. (laughs) But but yeah, him Hitler invading Russia was like. I'm not sure if it's specifically so, but it was like one of the things that marked the beginning of the end right. of World War II because it was just a stupid thing to do. Mm-hmm. Russia is this massive chunk of land, and it's mostly desolate, snow-packed ice during the winter, and you're going to invade. Really? That's your plan. Good going, Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> 
But now there, there's a theory that Hitler may have been suffering from Parkinson's or some kind of uh, other degenerative disease like that, and that's another reason why things fell apart for him, because he wasn't the same... He wasn't on the ball like he had been before, so... But that's enough about history. Cool. <laughs> what do you got for this one? What are your... What are your notes? Oh, my goodness. I've got, uh, I've got a pretty decent list of rambling notes here. My very first one... Um, I really don't like this cover at all, and I, I don't want to keep beating the listeners up with this this constant uh, complaining about Joe Kuber, but wow, this is just, it's just an ugly cover. It's I, pretty bad even for the other covers we've seen. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an especially poor one, I think. However, the interior art, love it, love it, love it. There's some really, really nice panels in here, especially the... Uh, the big one at the top of page three with the eye ship shooting out the beams, that, that great shot of the planes and Hawkman just kind of hovering there. I, that's a beautiful picture. I really like that. But there's great art throughout the entire issue. So that that was I think that's what made my beef with these Cuba covers that much more was that, you know, I, I felt like he was hurting the book. Because, you know, people judge a book by its cover. So you had this string of just lousy covers, you know, but you've got, you had some of the best art in comics at the time inside the book. And it was like, why don't you let that interior yeah. stuff shine? And eventually they would, but it sure did seem to take a long time. And let's see, it's on page, oh, let's see here. I think it's page four. Yes. Page four, first panel. Well, hallelujah. We finally have Hawkman saying that there is a problem that exists that his nth metal can't solve. <laughs> I was like, thank God, because up to this point, you know, it cured everything from athlete's foot to, you know, to the common cold. And it was like, come on, you know. I mean, I, I like that it's this cool mystery metal that does all these things, but it was getting a little old with it solving every single problem that you know that the world has. So that was nice. Um, Firebrand's got VD. Thank God <laughs> I have this nth metal. <laughs> Page five. I love that picture of Starman. You know, it's it's that huge picture right in the middle of mm-hmm. that age of him trying to uh, use his uh, gravity rod to slow down the uh, the descent of that you know depowered plane. That's it's just a great picture. I really really like that a lot. Um, flipping ahead quite a bit in the book. Let's see here. Yeah, page uh, sixteen. We get <laughs> we get that great page. Of the Adam and Liberty Bell wheel FDR into Churchill's quarters because the door is ajar, so they assume, well, it must be all right to go in. They go in, Churchill comes walking out in nothing but a bathrobe. And I love this this line right here where he says, The Prime Minister of Great Britain has nothing to conceal from the President of the United States. And if I was FDR, I'd be like, Shh, shh, Ixnay on that. You know, don't. <laughs> Dude, don't be saying that in front of these other people. You need you need to keep little Winston to yourself. All right. It could be worse. It could he could have said that's not what you said last night, Franklin. <laughs> so. yeah, exactly. Oh man. You know something occurred to me for the first time reading this uh, 
Dr. Midnight story here. Now, he's got his owl with him when he's Dr. McNighter. And then later, as he's retreating from the battlefield as Dr. Midnight, he's got his owl with him again. I had a similar thought. I mean, he's on this little island, which I imagine there's there's not that many people there. It's probably just like, you know, like a small garrison type of thing. And nobody thinks, hey, wait a minute, that doctor guy, he's got an owl, too. You know, I mean, it just seems a little, you know, a little weird to me, I guess. It's, it's like one of those things we're probably ultimately not supposed to think about. Yeah. So, because it'll just ruin everything. Well, on that, is the same sort of thing as a little bit earlier. I kind of skipped over it, but, uh, you know, the part where the, uh, you know, Ted and his co-pilot, they witness this UFO. It's making all this stuff happen. Ted just kind of jumps up out of the pilot seat and says, um, I can't see what's going on here, so I'm going to go to the back of the plane and see if I can get a better look. And his co-pilot's like, what? <laughs> Where are you going? He goes back there. He changes into Starman. He opens the door to the plane and just, like, leaves. Now, you know, I don't know. I mean, do these planes, are they high enough where they would deal with that whole, like, depressurization thing and all that? I mean, could you really just open the door to one of these old planes and just jump out and, and like, the pilot or co-pilot wouldn't notice? Probably not because of paratroopers. I don't know. It just it seemed, that part seemed a little bit weird to me. I want to say unrealistic, but you know it is a comic book, so. But still, nitpicky, nitpicky. I know, but it was one of those things that just occurred to me as I was reading it. <laughs> I love, you know, if you just ignore all the dialogue and just look at the picture on page seventeen, that first panel, you've got naked Churchill standing there making this really coy look at us, the reader. And then you've got FTR beneath him. And how? Yeah, and yeah, it's a really weird one. And there's another one very similar to that on page, where is it, 23, the fourth panel, where uh, Robot Man has just caught Johnny Quick. Now look at that panel and tell me it doesn't look like Johnny Quick is horrified by the fact that Robot Man's about to plant one on him. Yes, he does. Like, oh, my God. I'm going to kiss you. And he's like, no! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I can't help but wonder, you know, it seems to me I, I read this somewhere, but I couldn't find it as I was looking through different things trying to find verification of this, but... Um, I wonder if the, the, the legend or whatever you want to call it, the, the I, I guess legends as good a word as any, of the Foo Fighters of World War II, if that had anything to do with this story, you know, if you know, because Roy Thomas is drawing inspiration all over the place from events and, and things of World War II, so why not the Foo Fighters, you know? Which yeah. You know, to any of our listeners who, you know, to them, the Foo Fighters is this girl band or whatever. No, it's not a girl band. Oh, is it not a girl band? See, well, that tells you how much I know about it. It's made up by the former drummer of Nirvana and a couple of people. Oh, all right. Well, they get their name from this legend in, in World War II of basically these UFOs that plagued 
planes on all sides, you know, both the Allies and the Axis during World War II. They were these mysterious, mostly described as like these little balls of light that would show up. And most of the time they were completely harmless. But then there were rumors and stories of them actually doing exactly what the I-ship does in this story, which is um, affecting the electrical systems of some of the planes. They'd actually knock out power sometimes to the planes or at least make their instruments go all crazy and stuff like that. And I, I can't help but wonder if... You know, Thomas was aware of that, and and that was at least some of the inspiration for maybe not the story outright, but some of the the elements of the story. I, I'd be very curious to know that, you know, for sure, one way or the other. But for the most part, I love the art in this. I, I did enjoy the story. I thought it was really, really good, right up until the the splash page at the end, and when. Achmet comes down, or Achnet rather, comes down. He pops off his helmet and he stands there in all his glory. I literally could hear the Price is Right loser horn at that moment. I was like, oh. Because he just, I don't know, I'm sorry. With apologies to uh, the artist, he, Achnet sucks. He just, you know, it, it just, at this point, this is where the, this storyline jumped the shark for me personally. It just became kind of a goofy, cliched, I don't know. I, I just really didn't like the way that this particular um, issue ended. And I can't remember exactly where the story goes from here. I, I hope it gets better, though. But that's pretty much all I had on this for notes. Um, uh, there was one thing in the letters page, though. You, you touched on this briefly in your historical notes, but I wanted to read the full letter to which the response you know, was given that, well, we can't really use Captain Marvel right now. But there was a letter here from an Ian Boothby who says, uh, he says, Hi, I don't buy many DC comics, but lately you've come out with some great ones. Teen Titans, Dial H for Hero, All-Star Squadron. Two suggestions. Please let Plastic Man stay the way he is. And then in, uh, in parentheses he said, serious, meaning let him stay a serious character. Yeah. His adventures with Woozy Winks are dumb. Captain Marvel 2 is, a mo- is in mostly silly adventures, so why not give him a shot in All-Star Squadron? And, uh, Man, I completely agree with him that, you know, and, and I think I heard you say something similar on uh, on FCTC recently, Mike. Uh-huh. You were saying that, you know, you're not the biggest plastic man. Oh, yeah, it was when you guys covered his uh, guest appearance in, uh, in one of the Superman titles. You know, I, I'm with you. I like Plastic Man a lot as a concept, but most all of the Plastic Man stories I've ever read or, you know, like seen, like when he had his own TV show, yeah, they're kind of stupid. But I think he's still one of those characters with great potential if they would just handle him right. And I think that this is one of the rare instances where I feel like he was handled... You know, Well, handled right's probably not, uh, you know, probably not the best way to put that because everybody has their own interpretation. But handled the way I would like to see him <laughs> well, handled. Well, well, let's look at that animated series for a second. He... He surrounds himself with people to make himself feel smarter. He's got a ditzy blonde wife and a mentally challenged Hawaiian companion. I mean, he's looking pretty good in that group, okay? So, but I, I really liked how he was portrayed and handled in, in the early All-Star Squadron issues, and 
to a certain extent, some of the stories we would see him in years later in JLA, at least in the beginning of of his membership with that team, I, I think they were handled much the same way. He wasn't quite the over-the-top, ridiculous, yeah. silly character. I think he kind of regressed into that eventually, but at the get-go, I don't think he was. Well, so he, He's one of those characters that really, you know, his shtick is he stretches and he can become any any, any shape he wants to. Mm-hmm. And you would think, with his origin being what it is, that he would be more of a serious-minded character, because here's a guy that was a criminal, right? double-crossed by his compatriots, left for dead, and then, through the, through the miracle of whatever the acid did to him, and some monks, you know, taking him in and teaching him a better way... You know, you would think that he would go forward with a more serious-minded attitude, right? You know, and, and you know, I'm not, I'm not detracting from from people who like the goofy plastic man. Uh, I'm, I'm really not trying to, at least. But to me, I just, I'm not one for shtick, anyways. It's like why I really don't enjoy the Three Stooges deep down, is because you know some of their stuff is really, really funny. But then sometimes it just evolves into them hitting each other. Well, it's it's point, so one note, you know. Yeah. It, it's basically the same story over and over again. So, you know, it, you know, people can appreciate it. That's great. You know, I'm I'm never one to say that people shouldn't like it unless we're discussing something like child porn. But I think that's pretty much self evident. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not going to defend those people's you know desires because that's wrong. Uh, but. I kind of agree, and that's the thing. Captain Marvel, though, is kind of a different thing because that was kind of... I don't think his stories were so much silly or stupid. They were just more lighthearted and wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Right. And I don't particularly like those. I prefer Jerry Ordway's take on the character. I really liked that Shazam! The New Beginning miniseries that Roy Thomas wrote, where... You had kind of the trappings, but it was more of a straight-ahead adventure story. And and I think he, you know, for me, for my tastes in the character of Captain Marvel, that's what I want to see. Why do you think that mini has gained such a, a bad reputation over the years? Because it's funny that you say that, because I, I think you're the only other person I've ever heard say good things about that. I enjoyed it. I thought oh. it was a fresh uh, and refreshing take on that character. It was an attempt to serious him up, if you know what I mean. And well, was, I, I was, liked it. It fit in with the DC comics of that time. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of making him a 10-year-old orphan who was just on the streets, he's a 15-year-old. Uncle Dudley is literally his Uncle Dudley. There's that whole subplot with the custody hearing with uh, because Savannah is some distant cousin, you know, cousin of his wife's as well. And the only reason he takes Billy in is because he wants the inheritance for his own scientific research, abuses him, beats him, he gets his butt kicked at school, and it's only because he runs into the night that he goes into the subway tunnel. I love all that, and and not only was the writing strong, but Tom Mandrake's art was freaking amazing through that entire thing. Just such a... He looked childlike, but he still looked pretty buff, too. Because Mandrake is good with faces. 
You know, that's a name I've not heard in a long time. Is Tom Mandrake? I loved his stuff back he, then. He, and I, yeah, he did a he did a, a stint like a three or four issue stint on Batman a couple of years ago, written by John Ostrander. So the Spectre team oh, got wow. back together. I'm missing one issue of that Spectre run that I, I I'm probably gonna have to break down and buy off of eBay because it's just impossible to find. But no, I mean, it, it's a fantastic series. I didn't really enjoy the follow-up in Action Comics Weekly as much. Yeah. Uh, it, it just didn't have the heart that that miniseries had. But at the same time, you know, reading all of the things Roy Thomas wanted to do with Captain Marvel and the plans he had for Mary Marvel to show up and all of that, it's uh, it's kind of a shame that a lot of that didn't come to fruition because I really would have liked to have seen how that would have all turned out. Correct me if I'm wrong, didn't the post-crisis Captain Nazi come out of that Action Comics Weekly? Yes. Um, well, he did and he didn't because when Captain Nazi was introduced in Power of Shazam, it was a different Captain Nazi. Right, right, uh, yeah. Because it was after Zero Hour, so they could do that. Yeah. Um, I, I personally would have even if they had just published it as a one-shot graphic novel, would have liked to have seen more of John Byrne's take on Captain Marvel. You know, I, I've said that for a long, long time, based solely on, you know, the art that I had seen, like the pre- preliminary art for the series and stuff that looked really fantastic. I loved Byrne's take on Cap and his costume and all that. And just the fact that, you know, I'm a huge John Byrne fan. But there was an issue of Back Issue Magazine not long ago that did a feature article on that. I think it was in their Greatest, Greatest Stories, Stories Never, Never Told. Told. Yeah. And, you know, i got to be honest with you, I don't know that I would have liked it. Because one of the things he was going to do was this was a post-crisis series, yet it was going to have the pre-crisis setup of basically taking part apart from the ongoing DC universe of that time. So Cap wouldn't have been a player yeah. in the rest of the DC universe. And I don't I don't like that, I think. You know, I no, granted it never came out and I never read a single issue, so maybe I'm judging it prematurely, but just based on what Byrne was revealing about the way he was going to take the series, I don't know that I would have dug it because I like the idea of him being part of the DC universe. That that's my that's been my entire beef all this time with, you know, I, I, I've been frustrated frequently with DC having acquired the character and then they seldom use him, you know? Yeah, they, they just can't, they can't find a, a take on him that an audience will, uh, will grab onto. Frankly, right. uh, as good as I thought the series was, I am surprised the power of Shazam lasted 47, 48 issues. Yeah. Because... Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I heard recently why Ordway didn't draw the book at first. Uh, I'm going to have to... Jeffrey and I are hopefully going to be interviewing him again soon, so I'll, I'll ask him that in our pre-show talk. But, you know, it, I, I honestly believe that if he had... if he had kept on with it... There's a very specific reason why he didn't draw it, though. I'm going to have to... Uh, it was in that Modern Masters thing that Tomorrow's put out. Oh, yeah. I need to get more of those. I only have a handful of them, but they've covered so many of my favorite artists, I need to track more of them down. Yes. But, you know, to me, it, my problem with that book never really was the art, because even though Kra- it was Krauss, right? Pete Krauss, the, the, yes. Yeah. 
even though I, I you know he has a very different style from Ordway, I think I, I dig his style and I liked what he was doing with it. For me, my number one complaint with that book was well, actually, it was two main complaints. Is that for uh, once again they were they were kind of going with the uh, the sillier slash light heart more light hearted cap again, which I, I just feel like that's a mistake. You know, if if, if you you couldn't make it work the last 500 times you tried it. Why do you keep trying it? I mean, that's the definition of insanity, right? We keep doing the same thing over and over and expect a different result. But also, um, I mean, you read that first year, that first dozen issues that came out, it, it goes way too fast. Too yeah. much stuff happens way too fast because they were trying to bring back every pre-crisis bit of Cap and Marvel family mythos within the first year, and it, it just moves far too fast. I feel like they, if they had just slowed the story down and concentrated on us, the, the readers, getting to know Billy, getting to know Cap, you know, coming up with some really good and interesting villains beyond the you know traditional and, forgive me, Cap fans, stupid Cap uh, villains that he's had all these years because Cap to me is another one of those guys much like Superman who suffers from just a really weak rogues gallery you know Dr. Savannah arguably he he's okay but he, I think he's okay in moderation but you you basically you got Savannah you've got um, Mr. Mind and you've got the big what is he Mr. Atomic or whatever the hell his name is you know the big pointy-headed robot. Mr. Adam, and Black Mr. Adam, that's it, yeah. Oh, I forgot about Black Adam, yeah. Now, him I like. I like him yes. because he he's the he's one of the very best examples of, you know, the mirror cracked. You know what I mean? And I, I'm, I'm always a sucker for that. You know, when a, when a hero has an opposite number, I always like those, those type of characters. I wish Superman, you know, the, recently, and I, I'm sorry, forgive me for tangenting off for just a moment, but Somebody that I follow on Facebook is um, there's a group for the LCS that I have now, which is uh, Acme Superstore, um, not far from where I live now in Florida. And they've been posing some great questions um, through their little group there. You know, it's like every couple of days they'll pose a new geek related question. Well, recently they posed a question who should Superman fight in the new movie? And I never did come up with an answer for that question because in my mind, as I mentally go down the checklist for Superman villains, you know, it just occurred to me that there's really not somebody that I think would be the perfect one to see what I want to see in a Superman movie, which is a super special effects bonanza of Superman going toe-to-toe with someone either as strong as him or even preferably stronger than him. And you know what I think Superman needs? Superman needs a Black Adam. You know, he needs an opposite number. That's why, you know, I'm pretty sure I told you my my idea I've had for, you know, since I was a kid of the idea of Superior Man, which is basically like, you know, this dark, cracked version of Superman that's a little bit tougher than he is. Now, I know it's a silly idea, but, you know, I came up with it when I was a kid. But I still like that idea, and I still wish at, at some point we would see that idea. And I think the closest thing we ever get is, like, the Phantom Zone villains. But, you know, they're at the point where I think they're overused now. I, I definitely don't want to see him fight General Zod. 
in a new movie. I'd rather see him fight. I don't know, you know, like a not even necessarily another Kryptonian, like maybe like a like a evil Daxamite or something like that. You know, somebody that you you could really get full mileage from big budget special effects out of and that sort of thing. But anyway, I don't know how I got to that. It's <laughs> way a, off on no, that the, tangent. The, th- the only reason I would want him to fight Zod, in all honesty, before I get get us back on track. <laughs> but it's been a while, folks, so you got to put up with us. Um, <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> but um, the uh, the only reason I would want to see him fight General Zod is I would like to see how that fight would go with today's special effects. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not really to detract from the fight in Superman 2, because for 1981, that was pretty fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was really... I, I think what a lot of people overlook because they want to bash Richard Lester in favor of Richard Donner about that film is that is the first time on camera we had a superhero fight a supervillain, like a true superhero fight not one, but three different supervillains. Right. And they had a lot of great gags, you know. Yeah, it, it's kind of silly him, you know, heat-visioning Zod to the point where he crouches down and there's the sign behind him is burned, except for the outline of General Zod. But, you know, throwing Zod into the Coke machine, or the Coke sign, mm-hmm. which they redid in uh, Superman Doomsday, the animated series. Because the, either the evil Superman throws Superman, or Superman throws the evil Superman into a soda cola sign. Right. Um, you had, you know, Ursa kicking up that manhole cover and tossing it at him like a Frisbee. Or, you know, just like the one that when we were talking about something like this the other day, where, you know, he punches Nan through the, through the sewer up into the, up through the street and into the sky. I mean, it's just like, wow. Do you know, by the way, do you know how they did the scene where she throws the manhole cover and then it knocks him into the car? Do you know how that effect is, is I done? I forget. All right. Because I, I was going to say, if you do, that, that's cool. But if you don't, I'm not going to ruin it for you. Because it's one of those things, and, and I'm sure you, you must have had this happen at some point, where you have a beloved movie, and you spot something in it, and then once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it, like, ruins it for you from, from like the, for the rest of eternity. And that's one of those moments for me in movies, is, is that scene in Superman 2 with the manhole cover every time I see that scene now it's slightly ruined for me because there's an element in that scene that I can't unsee and it drives me nuts I'll go ahead and tell me uh, but then I'm going to ruin it for all the listeners no that's true well you'll tell me off the air I'll tell you off the air and if anybody wants to know just message me and, uh, and I'll, I'll let you, I'll I'll let you in on this you. yeah I'll ruin it for you <laughs> <laughs> but uh was a good little tangent anyway but ultimately my what i was trying to come around back to was uh you know i know that we went on at, at great length about this in regards to captain marvel in a previous episode but i'd like to see them do the same thing with plastic man as i talked about that i wanted to see them do with captain marvel several episodes back which is you know it's not working with the silly goofy plastic man so stop trying that and go with something else. And I would... I'm sorry? See, the the thing about that, that why it keeps coming back 
is because the people who step up to the plate next go, well, that's what I want to do. And right. I, I never read the Kyle Baker series, so I don't know how well that went. I, I, you know, he may have wanted to do it for the rest of his life, but I think readership-wise, people would get sick of it quick. Right. Because it's just like, ah, oh, it's just another, you know, it's, it's like it's like watching 16 Bugs Bunny cartoons in a row. Right. You know, if you watch one or two Bugs Bunny cartoons in a half-hour period and you laugh, ha-ha, look at what's he doing with Elmer Fudd, but, you know, frankly, by... By, by the 16th or 17th short in a row, you've been like, this guy's an asshole. What? Well, well, you, I, I want to shoot him at this point. You, you said something else recently in, in another episode that really struck me, because um, I feel exactly the same way, which is animation doesn't work in comic books. And I, I, I strongly agree with you there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, as a I'm, kid, I can remember, you know, my parents both worked in paper mills. And so quite often they would come home with these huge stacks of mostly coverless comic books for me. I mean, that's where a lot of my collection came from as a kid. And that's how I got access to a lot of comic books. Honestly, I probably never would have gotten to read otherwise. You know, know, like old comics and stuff was because of this. Well, I would say that a, a, a huge percentage of those were comics that, you know, I ended up using for trade fodder or something because I didn't have any interest in them. And I remember a lot of them being like Bugs Bunny, you know, like Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny and a lot of Disney stuff. Because as much as I love Bugs Bunny, I mean, I consider myself a huge Bugs Bunny fan. You know, Lo- Looney Tunes, I mean, you know, all the characters. You know, all of those I ever read, they just didn't work the same. You know, they, they could have been great stories and, and with really good gags, but there's something missing there you don't you you don't have the uh the carl stalling scores you know you you don't have the great like tex avery gags and all that it just didn't work it just didn't feel the same to me and that's kind of how i feel like these books keep trying to play with plastic man like they're trying to make him into a living looney tunes cartoon in in the book it just doesn't work for me it just it, it falls flat and so you know, now granted, the only exposure I ever had to you know original Plastic Man was the origin story that was in uh, what is it, the Secrets? What is that book Secret that you and I both? Origin of the DC yeah. superheroes or something like that. But I love that story. You know, I, I think that's why I have that that soft play, you know, that that soft spot for. Uh, Plastic Man was just because I love that book so much, and I loved that particular story, and that's why I keep giving the character a pass and defending him when everybody else says, ah, Plastic Man, he sucks. No, he doesn't. That story was great. It's just somehow, you know, he mutated into this just goofy character, but I I wonder beyond that story, I mean, was Jack Cole's Plastic Man, did he eventually become this goofy, ridiculous character? I don't know. I wonder when he, where he lost it, you know what I mean? But Probably right around the time he picked up Woozy Winks as a sidekick. Yeah, probably. Um, my notes for this issue, I don't, I don't have a whole lot, but uh, because they all basically boil down to the same thing. I really love this opening scene. I like seeing Ted Knight in his secret identity as a, as a pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, you know, this is one of the few times where 
Roy Thomas would write Hawkman and he wasn't a complete jerk like he would be in Infinity Incorporated. <laughs> God, he was a jerk in that series. He was a jerk all the time. But, um, no, I, I just, I, I, I liked the fact that they just team up. It's not a big planned thing. It happened kind of, kind of organically. And I, I like the, um, I like the fact that on page seven, uh, Hawkman goes, Before you take off, though, do you mind telling me how you made Pilot even faster than I could? I cannot tell a lie, old buddy. I got the president himself to fix it up for me. I'm surprised you didn't do this, <laughs> didn't do the same. Bye. It's just like, yeah, you know, Ted Knight, the, 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 the millionaire socialite playboy, would be one of the few members uh, of the Justice Society to use connections to get ahead in things. Why not? So I, I liked that a lot. I love the artwork throughout that entire oh, series. Oh, yeah. Just, uh, just amazing. I, I, I have to say, though, I really hate this Hawkman helmet. Because <laughs> every time they show him, it looks like a, it looks like a cartoon. It like kind of takes me out of the story for a second. Um, okay. I know that you want an action scene and, and, and keeping the action going was important, especially in this time period of comics, but how many freaking saboteurs is Johnny Quick and his friends going to stumble upon <laughs> randomly? It, uh, it happened in the second freaking issue, and then it happened like two issues later. So, uh, but it's still, it's it's cool seeing people beat up on Nazis. And artistically, it's a great scene as well, especially page 12, where he's running up uh, down the stairs, yeah. To uh, to uh, kick the dynamite out of the way. That was that was really cool to see. Uh, though I, I will say, on page thirteen, that third panel, that is the goofiest damn grin that I have ever seen on a comic book character's face. <laughs> Johnny Quick, he looks like a fourteen-year-old that just like that fourteen-year-old boy that just had a uh, a girl let her let him touch her boob for the first. Time. <laughs> um, um, page seventeen. Uh, I love uh, I love this exchange between um, between uh, Adam and Liberty Bell because you have uh, Churchill in the background going indubitably. I shall sign the document. As hugely as once your own John Hancock signed one far less friendly to our uh, sceptered isle. And, and, and FDR goes, wonderful, because they're talking about the, the birth of the United Nations. And Adam goes, great, wis- great witnessing history like this, huh, Bill? Liberty Bill goes, that it is, and thinks, now that that's over, I can take time to blush. Because, yeah, she wanted she wanted to see a little bit of little Winston. <laughs> can't tell me. Um Speaking of Liberty Bell, I recently, uh, with my wife, we, we, we watched a movie, uh, because it's it's nearing Halloween as we record this, they've been showing kind of like, you know, they've been showing horror movies all over the place, but AMC, I believe it was AMC, um, showed a movie that's name now completely escapes me. It's like, I Married a Witch, or something like that, and it starred Veronica Lake. And Veronica Lake was the visual cue that they took in the Golden Age for um, for Liberty Bell, because her trademark was, you know, her like half her blonde hair would be covering her face, which is how Liberty Bell hid her identity in the Golden Age. Uh, they've added the mask now because people wouldn't buy that in 1981. <laughs> I barely buy Jay Garrick vibrating his features, but. Um, <clears throat> The women must love him. 
But uh, but seeing Veronica Lake like acting for the first time, it was just like, wow, she does look like Liberty, or I guess Liberty Bell looks like her. So it was, it was kind of cool finally seeing that. It was a cute little movie too. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Though movies like screwball comedies in the forties were are goofy as hell to watch today because they they don't fo- they follow their own internal logic that I'm not used to. So. Um, there is a panel on page 20, it's actually the first panel, with uh, Firebrand walking between Robot Man and Commander Steel. Isn't there like a Superman or Batman cover? Yes. Uh, where one of them is walking between two soldiers? And that looks exactly like that. The, the framing right. of this looks exactly like that. And, uh, yeah, I mean... I. I gotta agree with you that this this issue was going fine and going fine until that goofy damn alien showed up. You know, I, I don't think I would mind it so much if, if he didn't look goofy. I think that's a lot of my problem is why I get to the end of this one and it just feels like a wah, wah, wah type of ending because he does look just, oh, he looks really silly. I mean, I don't know what I expect you know, an alien that camp comes down and makes this kind of pronouncement to look like, but it it wasn't this. <laughs> but yeah, that that fact file page has uh, illustrations of Starman, oh, yeah. Liberty Bell, and Adam drawn by Bu- uh, Buckler and um, and Ordway, and it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, especially yeah, Starman. Yeah, Starman looks awesome. Um, I cannot get around what his cosmic rod looks like, though. That, that's that's almost <laughs> my bridge too far with the Golden Age um, Starman, especially the action figure, the DC Direct figure I have. It's like, wow, that looks like a toy of some side. Again, the woman must love him. <laughs> He's got a gravity rod. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, it. That's that's pretty much it for for me and notes on this issue. We got some really great ads. Yes, I was hoping you were going to touch on the ads because uh, there are some good ones. Starting on the inside cover, you have the Swamp Thing poster, mm-hmm. uh, where <laughs> the painting of Adrian Barbeau is nearly spilling out of her uh, white nightgown dress, whatever the heck she's wearing. Did you ever think she was all that? Because I got to be honest, I, I never found her attractive at all. Um, I think it's a generational thing because people. Well, no, because they're about your age too. There are some people that just absolutely think she was the hottest thing on legs. Uh, Chris Honeywell does. He he always had the hots for her, but I don't. I just don't see it somehow. Um, like on Maud, I thought she was cute. She yeah. was on Maud. Yeah, she was Maud's daughter. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I, I must profess I hated that show, so I, I never really watched God it. God will strike you dead for that, Scott. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I made I, up I, for I, it by watching the uh, Star Wars holiday special over and over and over again. So She uh, she was the voice of Catwoman on Batman the Animated yes. Series. Mm-hmm. I thought she did a very good job. Yeah, I, yeah, I liked her as Catwoman. Uh, Gina Gershon was Catwoman in uh, The Batman that 2004 series that looked like Jackie Chan Adventures that we've talked about. Yeah, I, I still haven't watched that. 
Yeah, Gina Gershon was Catwoman. There's there was somebody that uh, if you would talk to me like 1996, 97, and told me that Gina Gershon was going to play Catwoman, I probably would have kissed you full on the mouth. So, ew, <laughs> not really figuratively. Uh, we after kiss me full on the ass and he's like, what? Ew. <laughs> Proceed. It's all hairy down there and smells like fear. Um, we, have a, we have a bubble yum ad, which we can kind of skip over. We have a double dynamite, two dynamic debuts from the new DC. First issue, the Justice League's favorite hothead is back in all new adventures. Brought to you by Jerry Conway, Pat Broderick, and Rodan Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Firestorm number one. God, I love that cover. It looks a lot better with the blue background and the white. And now they can be told the most startling secrets of the new Teen Titans are revealed to you by Marv Wolfman and George Perez and a cast of thousands. This was one of my first exposures to the new Teen Titans was actually this Tales miniseries and this first issue because I remember being aware of New Teen Titans, kind of the same way I was aware of the X-Men, but I didn't read either title, and and I wasn't really interested in it, although I was aware that the art was really nice, but there was something about seeing this cover on the spinner rack that made me pick it up, and and I just, I really liked, well, more than anything, it was just, I really liked the cover, and it looked like, well, you're finally going to kind of get the story on this cyborg guy, who up to this point I didn't like, but I couldn't, I can't now remember why I didn't like him, I just didn't like him. But I picked up this issue, and of course, naturally, it's, it's the origin of Cyborg, and found that he had so much in common with the Six Million Dollar Man that I really kind of latched onto that character, and he became a favorite of mine after that. So uh, this series was very important to me, and uh, and oh, it's always been one of my favorites. It's, it's always, a good series. I it mean, is. I, it really I, is. I read it much, much later uh, when I finally got like almost a full run. Well, actually, no. I was one issue away from having a full run of New Teen Titans and New Titans and all of that, and uh, reading it mixed in with the, the issues that were coming out of Teen Titans around the time. It was it was really cool. The, the reason why I liked that story was instead of just having it being and now the secret origin of, of Cyborg and starting like on the first page with with like an early like scenario of him when he was a kid or whatever, it was them all getting together and camping. Right. And frame, mm-hmm. and that framing device heightened that feeling of family. Yes, very much so, yeah. Perez had for that team. So, it, and, it, and it was like, you know, if you're going to talk about your origin, instead of, you know, doing it like a standalone story or doing it in the middle of a fight and a flashback, you know, basically it's them kind of pouring their souls to each other. And especially with the characters they covered, you know, Changeling, I really wish they wouldn't have gone back to calling him Beast Boy. That's... Uh, <sighs> Anyways, and Raven and Cyborg and like uh, some of the more original characters that they created, Coriander. Mm-hmm. You know, it was important to get their backgrounds because, really and truly, outside of like diehard, you know, Doom Patrol fans, who the heck knew who Changeling was in 1981? Right. You know, that was obscure even for them. I mean, <laughs> not that. Uh, then again, I've never really cared for Doom Patrol, so. 
It's just so strange to me to look back on my origins getting into comics and realize that you know what seems so perfectly normal at the time looking back on it now is so odd that you know like with Titans I mean the two books that got me interested in Titans weren't Titans books the, it was the first one was the DC Marvel um, presents number one which was the new Teen Titans versus the X-Men I mean talk about being thrown into a something you don't i mean that was my first exposure to both of those teams was that crossover and i literally didn't know that some of the characters like you know when like the x-men uh the parademon comes to the x-men i didn't know the parademon was even a dc thing i you know just you know it was all these characters together and you kind of had to cipher out who was who i but i like that you know and that's why i still you know, take objection when, you know, the the big two say, well, you know, we can't just, you know, throw re- readers in, you know, every once in a while we have to do this or that. I'm like, no, I threw myself in and enjoyed it. And got, that's how you get interested is when you go, wow, who is this guy? You yeah. know, and yeah, you go definitely. out and you find out. Yeah. And the other. And with, and with Wikipedia these days, it's like oh, yeah. really easy to find these things. Out. Yeah. But, the, you know, and then this was the other one, was the uh, the Tales miniseries, uh, especially this first issue. Just, yeah. I mean, if you introduce a character, you should give the audience a little idea who they are and not expect them to go out to Wikipedia. <laughs> right. Because I think that's going too far in the opposite direction. But, right. you know, just, you know, to, to say, you know, we can't have this heavily convoluted continuity is BS. Always it's yes, it is. We have another DC house ad where the action keeps on coming. Two-fisted thrills with the fastest man alive and the master of magic, Dr. Fate. There's something that could be... Oh, wait, wait. Before I go into that, I, I do have to mention... Did, did, did I skip over it? Cube lube? Yeah, that's what I'm talking <laughs> about. Okay. Tell me that this can't be taken out of context easily. We've got what it takes to really move your cube. <laughs> cube so, lube. So apparently, doing a Rubik's cube was so complicated, and it would get stuck and dry up that you needed cube lube. <sighs> Anyways, <laughs> we have a, a thing of Arak, peril and excitement in the forgotten days of dark ages. I've read three issues of Arak now. I don't, I don't care for it. <laughs> I thought I was going to follow along with it read that and follow along with this and Arak because they're both written by Roy Thomas I'm not a big sword and sorcery guy so I, I have one issue it's, I, to my knowledge it's the only issue I ever read and the only reason I, I've kept it in my collection all these years is one one time my mother was going into town and she's like do you need anything and I was like can you stop at the store and get me you know Superman or whatever it was I was asking for you know on your way back and she stopped, she came home, and she brought me Eric. <laughs> I don't even remember what issue it is. It was like 17 or something. And I kept it all these years just because it was one of the few comics my mom ever got me, you know. But, yeah, I, I remember being like, eh. We got a Saga of the Swamp thing, Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew and Green Lantern. The reason why I don't go into those too deeply is because we're going to be talking about them in a few minutes anyways. Um, yes, that's right. Some people think we publish Batman twice a month uh, as they have uh, pictures of the latest issues of both Batman and Detective Comics it's, it's kind of a goofy ad when you really think about it yeah. <laughs> um, 
catch more fish, bigger fish. We've talked about that before. And, of course, we've talked about this. I don't know if we talked about this on air or not, but the free Lone Ranger Western town. I think we have. Uh, with uh, with the stiff-ass Lone Ranger action figures. Oh, I love these guys. I have a complete set of these, actually. Well, you had uh, General George Custer and B- Buffalo Bill Cody as well? I sure do. And uh, Oh, you still have them? Oh, yeah, I still have them. The only thing I never got, I never got the horses. But, yeah, I, I have all these guys. It's the Lone Ranger, uh, George Custer, Buffalo Bill, Butch Cavendish, and Tonto. And I do. I have them all, and I'm pretty sure I have all their... Uh, their accessories as well. You know what? I take it back. I don't know that I do have Buffalo Bill. But I know I've got everybody else in this picture. I, the reason I got to doubting my, my might not have Buffalo Bill is it looks like he has a rifle. And none of my guys have a rifle. But I know I have all the rest of these. Because I, I just love having an action figure of George Custer. I just think that's hilarious. Randomly. Yeah, just completely random, you know. I used to like to like throw him into my, my Star Wars battles. You know, it's like they'd go for their briefing to, to fight the Empire. And because there wasn't a uh, General Dodonna figure back then when I was a kid, it would be George Custer would give them the, uh, the briefing. Which, you know, looking back on it, would scare the piss out of me as a rebel pilot if the guy giving me, you know, the, the military briefing was, was the guy, you know, fa- most famous for... You know, a catastrophic military blunder, you know? So. <laughs> uh, I I know I loved the heck out of the uh, Lone Ranger movie. Yes. When I was a kid. Much less so now. Um, just Why? Because that guy can't act worth a crap. Oh, I like Clinton Spilsbury. I really did. I thought he was great. His as, uh, as l- Yeah, that was his name. Boy, it's a good thing he was good looking because he would have gotten his ass kicked. <laughs> no, when I was a kid, though, man, that I loved that movie. Especially, I always looked forward to the big fight scene at the end of the movie. Yep. And then when you realize now that that's you know Doc, Doc Brown. Brown. <laughs> Like, no, Lone Ranger, don't beat the snot out of Doc Brown. Or whatever his Klingon name was in... uh, Krug. Krug in in Star Trek III. Yep. Love that one comedian going. And he knew it was Christopher Lloyd as soon as he started speaking English. Well, Kirk. Well. (laughs) Well. Because suddenly you heard Reverend Jim. Yep, Reverend Jim. Ah, uh, well, I guess we can, uh, there, there's, that's the end of the ad, so I guess we can move into Mike's oh, amazing, yeah. Max amazing World of DC Comics and hop into the old time machine, go back to the other books that were cover dated June 1982. What do you see that you like? Oh, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of goodness on here. Because you, you and I were, 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 we had like a little contest before the, <laughs> before the, we started recording, going down the list. There's 30 books on this page, and you and I were counting like how many of the 30 we actually have. But uh, the first one that jumps out to me every time I see a DC Comics Presents issue that's somewhere in the 40s, I think, that's it. That's the one that my subscription started with as a kid. And then the next time I see another cover, I'm like, no, 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 that's it. So I can't remember anymore where my subscription actually did start. But I know I got this particular one in the mail. This was my introduction to the Global Guardians. It was uh, DC Comics Presents 46 Superman and the Global Guardians. And I thought they were cool and had no idea that you're only going to see them like 
three times in the next 20 years. You know, these guys just never seemed to make it big. And it's a shame because I, I thought they were kind of a cool concept. It's almost like, you know, like the United Nations puts together a superhero team is kind of the, the concept behind those guys. But I thought they were they were interesting and there were a lot of cool characters. But like the only one of them that ever made the big time was uh, – what was her name? Like Green Fire or something like that, and she became yeah. Fire. Yeah, and, she was Fire. Both, uh, yeah, yeah and, and Ice was Ice Maiden. Ice Maiden, yeah. And had blue skin. Yep. So yeah, but they had some other cool ones too, like Jack O' Lantern and or whatever his name was. That might that might not have been his name in in that book, but he was the you know the token Irish guy, you know. And uh, what was his name? God, I think you're almost. I think you're right. I can't remember because I, I know that there's Jack a, something. Yeah, I, I know that there's a Marvel character named Jack O' Lantern. That's why it made me doubt myself on whether that was his name or not. But anyway, he was a he was dressed like that anyway for whatever reason. I think he went on to be star in. Um, yeah, it's Jack O' Lantern. Is it Jack O' Lantern? Yeah, he he went on to star in that. Um, was it Primal Force or whatever the name of that book was, which I own all of and keep intending to read one of these days, and I still have never made time for it, but it looked like an interesting book. Yeah, I used to want to make time for it, then I found out that Stephen T. Siegel wrote it, and his Uh, god-awful run on Superman has basically ruined him (laughs) as a writer. No, um... They would play with the Global Guardians a lot in in the early issues of Justice League Europe. Yeah. Uh, which is where I first came into contact with them outside of, you know, the, the the who's who entry that you that was my first experience with a lot of DC characters. Yeah, that's true. Oh, let's see. I love these uh, these digest books. You got Best of DC 25. I just like the picture on number 25 where the kids are standing there just in awe of this cool Superman poster on a wall when one of the kids realizes that the real Superman's standing right behind him. That's pretty neat. In the exact same position, that arrogant cousin. <laughs> Secret Origins of Superheroes. I can't remember what stories are in this one, but I know I have that one. It's got Superboy on the cover. Nice uh, George Perez cover on Justice League of America 203. And then you got... Yes. Yeah. Book two of that uh, Wonder Woman crossover I was talking about with all the the female characters all teaming up with uh, with Wonder Woman. I really need to reread that because it's been so long since I read it. I can't remember a thing about it, but I just remember thinking it was really awesome. And the, and the Gene Colan art in that was really really good. I do have to ask: Did Jonah wander? Jonah Hex wander onto the set of Kung Fu? <laughs> Is that what's going on here in this in Jonah Hex sixty one? I can't wait till I get to that era of Jonah because I can't. After issue fifty, it's like. You know, it's almost like I never read them because I keep looking at these covers, going, "I don't know what in the world is happening in this story." So, I don't know if that's a bad sign that they weren't good stories or what. Part of it is, you know, I don't know if you ever experience this, but sometimes when I sit down and I read like a whole stack of issues at one time, then later on, it's like I have like zero memory of what happened in the story. You know uh, what I mean? It, it it takes a while, but yeah, it's it, you know. The Justice League of the Giffen de Mateus era is like that. I've 
I've gone through like the first 30 or 40 issues about three times now, and I still, like, six months later, I'll be like, what happened in that issue? Yeah. <laughs> so, which is cool, because when you read it again, it's like reading it for the first time, and you remember stuff in retrospect, but it's just, it's kind of annoying, because, I don't know, last couple years, my Steel Trap memory has been kind of shuffling off a little bit, and it's kind of got me scared. <laughs> That's Holy just age, God. dude. I mean, I, at one time, I used to be able to look at a cover to any comic that I owned and tell you exactly what happened in that issue. Pfft, yeah, I lost that ability a long <laughs> time ago. But I can still tell you where I was when I read a lot of my comics yeah. for the first time. So <laughs> I've got that. People can do it with music. I can do it with comic books. This is probably why I didn't get laid all that much in high school. <laughs> um I like that Batman cover to Batman 348. Yes. That Aparo cover with Man Bat. Oh, man. Aparo does such a great Dick Grayson Robin. Yes, he does. Um, you uh, know, uh, I think we talked about this before, so I'm only going to make this. I'm going to kind of make the statement and walk away. That Dr. Fate backup in The Flash sucked. Now, who did that? Was that. Uh, it was Marty Giff- Pasco and Keith Giffen. Keith Giffen, yeah. And it. It just I was really looking forward to reading it, and then I started reading it, and I'm like, wow, this isn't Dr. Fate. This is the adventures of Inza Nelsa. Nelson, whiny bitch. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> that's all she did. I vaguely remember the Superman issue. I like the cover, but I can't remember what happens in it. Who, who Is that Ross Andrew? Who is, yeah, it is Ross Andrew, yeah. Sure enough. Um, now, I like... Uh, I, you know, I've only read just a couple of them. I have almost a complete set of the I Vampire storyline from House of Mystery, but I, it's another one of those I just can't ever seem to make the time to sit down and read. But I love this cover. It's a Mike Kaluta cover, issue three. What is it? Three oh five, and it's the one where um, the vampire is. He's in Egypt, and for some reason, there's two sphinxes. I don't know why. <laughs> But it just he's like reaching up as the sun's boiling him, and it says, "I am dying, Egypt, dying." I just I love that cover; it's really dynamic. We have, I think, one of the first appearances of Hive in that Action Comics issue. I want to say the first, but I'm not yeah, sure if that's it, right. Because it was really funny. I felt bad about this um, years ago, back in 2006. I moderated a panel at DragonCon with Peter David and Marv Wolfman. Mm-hmm. And Wolfman said something about Hive, and he's like, yeah, I first used them in Teen Titans. And I said, well, no, actually, you, uh, you use them before that. You use them in, in, in Action Comics. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And one of my friends was in the audience. He goes, dude, you just, you just let those things go. You know? <laughs> I go, what? Did I look like a jerk? He goes, not really, but you don't want to tell the, the pro <laughs> that they're wrong in front of a group of people. So... That was right about the time that I started to buy um, action on a regular basis, too, because the the writing got really good in that. And it had an ongoing storyline, which at that time was a very novel thing for Superman. Yeah, I was about to say, for Superman, that that almost never happened. And it's like they would try doing it, and then you'd get like six months of it, you'd be really excited, and then it would be six goofy one-shots. Right. Following, it's just like, (laughs) dun-dun-dun-dun! But it led into that uh, 
that story where Superman gets split in two, and man, that's still one of my favorite Superman stories. I, I loved that whole era. You've got, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first full issue of Legion of Superheroes, number 288, the first full one with uh, uh, Levitz and uh, Keith Giffen, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I think it is. The thing is, is I can't look at this issue without seeing a price tag on it because I bought it years ago at uh, Dave's Comics, and he had this very specific type of sticker, price sticker thing on it with a barcode. So now I can't, and and every time I've gone through my comics to sort them or whatever, I look at this cover and that barcode's at the top, so I can't see it without it. It's really strange. got a photo cover on saga of the swamp thing number two yeah that's a good issue too that that's before it started to suck yeah, i would say the first three are really really good and then it just goes into kind of a slow spiral after that and that spiral speeds up pretty fast but those first three issues are really good but yeah i like the it's a goofy uh goofy um photo cover too because it you know it's arguably it's to promote the movie but you know it's it's just done kind of as it almost looks like an afterthought type of thing oh yeah we've got this movie out let's put a photo cover on this issue uh new teen titans number 20 is a fantastic issue it's told basically from the perspective of wally west writing a letter home to his parents Mm -hmm. and talking about what's been going on and i i I always appreciated that when they would do issues like that of New Teen Titans. Now, didn't that one wind up in one of those year-end best of DC digest things? Yes, it did. Deservedly so. Yeah, I remember that. I think that may be where I first read that story was in whatever digest it wound up in. Now, admittedly, he's a goofy-looking villain. But I've always had kind of a soft spot for the Master Jailer. Yeah. Cover of Superman Family number 219. Because he was the pudgy kid in high school that had a crush on Lana Lang and would do anything to get her attention. And she was always in love with Superboy. So he grows up, he gets into great physical shape, he becomes this huge success at being able to plan out jails and all that. And he meets her again, and she's got nothing but eyes for Superman. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, it's not really her fault, but at the same time, I kind of see his. Uh, I guess here I have this issue. I just haven't read it yet. He's fighting Supergirl. You know, you ever uh, look at a cover like this, and, and you know that you used to own it, and then you gotta wonder why? Why? Whatever happened to this issue? Why don't I have this anymore? Because I just looked it up in my collection real quick while you were talking, and for some reason I don't have it anymore. But I had that issue at one time. I wonder why I got rid of it or what happened to it or something. That's kind of strange because I'm. Man, I am such a pack rat when it comes to my comics. I, I I find it very hard to part with even issues I know I'll never read or I don't like or aren't in my wheelhouse. I still hang on to them for some strange possessive reason. So one it's day you'll need it. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot. Where I'm like, I hate war comics. I'll never read this thing, and then I get rid of it, and then the next thing you know, it's like, you know, something important happened in that issue, or I find myself, you know interested in that genre 20 years from now and wish I'd never gotten rid of, you know, issues of Title X, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's kind of funny. I'm the same way with other things involving comics, like 
for a long, long time. I collected, I made sound samples, like ripped sound from DVDs and stuff, and made sound ostensibly to have sound files for my computer events. Mm -hmm. You know, when it shuts up, starts up and shuts down. And years later, I now find that I was really doing that because one day I was going to have a podcast, and (laughs) I was going to need them. Let's see. That's about all I'm really seeing on this. I, I kind of like that cover to uh, Adventures of Superboy. That's another one I know I used to own, but years ago I sold my uh, my collection of new Adventures of Superboy. Kind of wish I'd held on to that now. Oh, man. Uh, but we, we talked about Tales of the New Teen Titans number one. I really need to get more of Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew. <laughs> Just because it looks like a goofy damn premise. But, you know, really good-looking month, cover-wise. Oh, yeah. You know, you almost want to get all of these and, like, put them on a spinner rack together just to kind of see how they would look like if you were... It would look like my childhood. That's what it would look like. (laughs) Full of a lot of crying and screaming and... I'm serious, dude. We are we are right in that era as we do these uh, elsewhere in the DC multiverse segments. Now we are we are in that era where this was where Scott was was discovering the the larger picture of comics and really getting into you know mostly DC. But this was when I was really getting serious about being a collector because up to this point. It was religiously Star Wars, and then just other odd bits, bits and pieces Star that, Trek, yeah, like that. yeah. But you know, it was it was the odd Superman that would catch my eye, or something, or you know, hand me down comics, or you know, the the coverless stuff my folks brought home from the paper mill. But this was the time where I was old enough to get out and you know, mow lawns or shovel sidewalks or whatever, earn my own money and buy my own comics. And so there's so many things on here. I'm like, yep, this is the issue. I discovered this or discovered that or, you know, learned about this character or whatever. So yeah, I'm I'm loving this segment just because it's such a walk down memory lane for me. It's awesome. Um, this issue, like every other issue of All Star Squadron, has never been reprinted. Aww, but uh. Probably in the case of this storyline, that might be for the best. So, uh, I'm not insulting the series. I'm not really insulting the storyline. It's just we've had like a string of really strong stories or strong, solid one issues, and this is the first kind of like meh. Well, I want to put out a plea to the listeners. Write in, let us know what you think about this episode because, you know, I, I commented to Mike just as we were beginning to record the episode that. I was so, you know, we're both so excited to be back and be doing the show again. You know, I, I'm very touched by all of the the um, inquiries I've received from the listeners going, you know, gee, I love Tales when you guys going to come back. I mean, that makes me feel really good that you guys missed the show because um, there's other projects that I do that <laughs> apparently nobody missed them. So, you know, it's nice that you guys missed this one. But you know, I felt bad that we were coming back to kind of a, what I really strongly, and I think Mike feels the same way, this is kind of a, a weak storyline, so I hope we entertained you in other aspects beyond just the story itself. So let us know how we did in that regard that, you know, we, we, we still try to take, you know, something that's maybe not so hot, but still give you an entertaining episode out of it anyway. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of 
the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to tales of the jsa at gmail.com thanks for listening and come back next week for another installment of the tales of the justice society of america remember how they died for liberty let's remember pearl harbor and go on to victory